Today's message is called Half Mass. Uh, mass as in the gathering of a congregation. Half Mass. And I really truly believe that this is a word from God that's going to help a lot of us. How many of you have ever said or ever heard anybody make the statement that it seems like the church is only half as powerful as it should be? We only see half as much as we should see. We read the book of Acts and we ask ourselves the question, when are we going to see all the things that the apostles saw? The, the Bible says that the last church shall be greater. The last house will be even greater than the former house. Christ said, the works I have done, you shall do and greater works you shall do. So we kind of look around and we're like, how come it seems like the church is only half as powerful as it could be? And in one word, I believe the answer is division. But I want to expound on that a little bit this morning, according to what God has shared with me. I'm going to warn you right out of the bat. How many of you are ready for God to do a new thing? Amen. Amen. We're going to do something different this morning in way of tithe and offering. I know a lot of you have already written your tithe and have got your tithe and offering ready. I'm going to present to you the meat first, and then you can decide what it's worth. You pay your tithe, but as far as your offering, I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, we're going to take the offering up at the end. So tithe, 10%, we teach on that. The first of every, the first Sunday of every month. This is a, I have a lot to get through today, so we're not going to go in depth about that. If you're a Christian, you know God has asked you to tithe. That's how the church and the, and the work of God and the kingdom of God stay in operation. And then on top of that, if He puts it on your heart to give an offering, then give an offering. And I believe that uh, in this message today, He's going to move on your heart. Um, ah, I know how I wanted to start this this message off. This is the this is the downfall of thirty for thirty. It's like uh, I'm trying to remember what God's spoken to me. I forget the things I need to say myself to give you an idea of how in tune we are. How many of you have heard me say multiple times over the past month or more that God is really moving in my heart and my wife's heart in way of unity? And we want to go out into the Clear Lake Webster Friendswood community and get pastors and churches together, get churches to unify and spread a citywide revival in this area. We've talked about that, have we not? So how crazy would it be if I was driving down my street one day and a guy pulled me over because he saw my car and said, hey, if I see your car parked at your house, can I come talk to you? Absolutely. Nine times out of ten, it'll never happen. So the other day, two days ago, we're, we're uh, cooking breakfast, playing with the kids, 9, 9.15 ish in the morning, get a knock on the door, and it's this dude. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. Invite him in and want a cup of coffee, whatever sits down and starts talking to me about how God's brought him all from all around the different area and, and planted him in Clear Lake. And they've, they've made him an associate pastor at a fellowship church in Clear Lake. And the senior pastor is headed to the mission field for permanently. And so they're going to move him up to be the senior pastor of this church. And he wanted to know, was it interesting to me to try to get some pastors together in the Clear Lake area <laughs> for prayer meetings and to try to build a unity? And I was like, stop, 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 stop. That's what I'm doing. You do something else. I'm not already doing that. What are you talking about? So, yeah. And uh, so it was just like, I mean, if could, God couldn't smack you in the face any harder to get your attention and say, hey, I, this is more than just mere talk. I'm doing this. So there was two things that I got out of that. One, we're in tune. Two, if we don't do it, somebody else will. So we're going to be on it. God's moving and he's doing a thing. Amen. Amen. Another example of something I wanted to use and I just, it just it, it's gone. Fluttered away. Let's just go to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and get started on our word this morning. You said you were ready to learn, yes? 
for God to do a new thing, yes? So let me go ahead and warn you before we get started. This is a young church, whether young in age or young at heart, it is a young feel. And so this is not going to be as controversial as it may be at some other church houses. But I'm going to warn you as your pastor, this is traditionally uh, not what is taught inside the church concerning this matter. This is theologically not what's normally taught in the church in this matter. So I am putting myself out there. I feel like I've heard from God and I want you to judge. I really do the word because it said that none of this, none of this edgewater, this work, this church, none of this is about my, my wife and I. This is our position. God's given us the vision and called us to be the pastors. But this is all of us combined. So it's not I talk and you agree. It's as a group. I'm preaching, but I need you to be involved. Amen. I need you to be involved. I need you to participate. I also need you to be honest and open minded and see how see how the word hits you. I want you to take it home. Pray over it. Divide it up. See what God reveals to you. And I think this is going to do something to really change. It's going to define and change the direction inside of Edgewater Church. And I hope it does that for many, many churches. I really hope this gets broadcast in some way, shape or form everywhere. And I hope that you'll agree at the end of this message. So time to put your uh, strap, your seatbelt on. Get ready. This is going to be fun. Uh, slightly controversial, non-traditional. How many of you want to have fun at church? Want something? Not the same old, same old. Let me give a shout out to the few, the bold, the faithful with the itchy faces and the thick beards. I thank you. No shave November. There's a few of us left. There's a few of us left. Mine's coming in. And for those of you that have hung on tight, I'm with you. Brothers in arms. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make a helpmeet for him. Helpmeet or helpmate depending on what kind of what translation you're reading. This is going to start us down a path of what I consider the greatest division in the church today. We are divided in many ways. There are Pentecostals. There are United Pentecostals. There are Baptists. There are Southern Baptists. There are Mid-Baptists. We went through the Baptist thing last week. I'm not going to do that again. There's Methodist. There's Southern Methodist. There's Episcopalian. There's Lutheran. Uh, there's Anglican, there's whatever there's, uh, somebody once said there's over 400 denominations. I don't know if that's true. I know there's at least 200 just inside the Baptist church. So that might be true. And that's just, you guys got lightened up a little bit. I love Baptist people. I'm just saying, um, anyway, so there's a lot of denominations out there and we're all, we're divided in many ways. And I don't have time to read all the scripture I want to read this morning, but if you're familiar with the word of God, you'll note that in first Corinthians chapter one, It tells us Paul writes right in the very beginning to the Corinthian church, which is where some of the main scriptures about what we're talking about today are. He says that whole first chapter is about how he wants there to be no division among us, that we should speak and think the same thing. And Christ, of course, spoke earlier and had said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. The church is half as powerful as it should be. Why is that? Because we're not even standing on two legs. We're teetering and tottering and we're barely keeping our balance. And we're this one legged entity that's supposed to be a powerful force in the earth. Paul said, don't be divided. Well, there's all of these divisions and we're not going to conquer that in a day. And God didn't call us to tear down all the walls and names of denominations. Maybe one day that'll happen. Maybe one day it won't. I think God can work right through all of that. Can unite us and you can still keep the Methodist thing on the billboard if you want to. Don't have to tear it all down. He can unite us anyway. 
However, inside of all of the denominations, no matter how you define yourself as a Christian, there are really only two human beings involved in Christianity, two types, male and female. doesn't matter what you are, Pentecostal, males and females, Baptist, males and females, Methodist, males and females, go right on down the line. So if I were the enemy, and he's a lot smarter than you and I, what I would want to do is take the obvious division, possibility of division, and make it the, the most... Uh, the most divided, the biggest, the deepest, cause the biggest rift and somehow deceive people to think that it's really not there. And then I'll let them divide themselves in other ways and they can fight about that. When there's a huge division in the church and it's making us half as strong as we need to be. God made a helpmate for him. Now, before you turn me off or tune me out, let me get through some scriptures with you. First of all, How do you use this scripture to teach that a woman is an inferior being? When the scripture says right there that the man needs help. Is that not what it says? That's what it says, right? They went through all of these amazing beasts of the of the field, all these strong animals, all these creatures. None of them were able to help in the way that the man needed help. So he said, let me take from the man and make a female version, so to speak. And this will be a help that is meat for him. This will be a mate that can help him. But the, you understand what he's saying right there is that the man needs help. If you're a man in the room, say, I need help. Do you not? Some of us need. Oh, hold on a minute. I'm going to get back around to the man before we're done. Some of us need professional help. Some, I don't really mean in that way. But, and some of us need personal help. Here's what I mean. Most men don't have a hard time admitting that they need professional help unless they are unless they own their own business. Then maybe they can skirt by. Well, I don't, I don't mean professionals way in a way of therapy, but I mean in your profession, in your job, on your vocation. You understand that as a man, you walk into your job, whatever you have things to do, you could use some help. Most of us know that. Most of us understand that. Most of us are willing to accept that. It doesn't matter if you wait tables. You need help from your fellow waiters. You need people to pre-bus. You need people to watch your section. Or if you're a CEO in the business world, you need the you need the other members of the board to help you. You need help. You can't do it all yourself. Could you plow a field as a man by yourself? Yes, you could. Could you do it better with a little help? Yes. Could it get done quicker? Could it get done more efficiently? We all know that we need help. As men, we have a little bit of a harder time understanding and admitting that we also need personal help. We need help in our personal lives. We need help that we are not even able to get from other men. I know this because a lot of you are bachelors and I've been to your house. You need help. Amen in the back. Got two of them sitting there sitting by each other. Things are just getting worse. They need help. Haven't you ever walked into somebody's house? a bachelor or wherever, and just say, man, it just needs a woman's touch. Well, that's a real nice way of saying you need help, bro. And I can't do it for you and you can't do it for yourself. But luckily, thankfully, God made us. God made a creation that is able to help us. Amen. Everybody say unity. I want to read to you a poem real quick. Written by a a young lady named Jessica Goodfellow. 
And it kind of goes right in line with what we're talking about today. It says, God created the whole numbers, the firstborn, the seventh seal, ten commandments etched in stones, and the twelve, tribe of, twelve tribes of Israel. Ten we've already lost, forty days and forty nights, Saul's thousands and David's ten thousands be of one heart and one mind. The whole numbers, the counting numbers. It took humankind to need less than this to invent fractions, percentages, decimals. Only humankind could need the concepts of splintering and dividing, of things lost or broken, of settling for the part instead of the whole. Only humankind could find the whole numbers, infinite as they are, to be wanting. Though given a limitless supply, we still have no way to measure what we keep in our many-chambered hearts. All of that to say, if you read the Bible, you'll understand very quickly that the God that you serve is a God of addition and multiplication. In fact, God said one can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand. And he's told us in many other ways of a double portion and a five times uh, increase, which is something that's not as familiar to most people, but it's in there. God has said, if you will just add, I will multiply. If you will add to the church house, I will multiply the power. If you will add, I will multiply. If you will encourage, I will raise up. If you will speak life, I will heal. If you will add, I will multiply. But if you divide, I will subtract. That's. If I was going to tell you one thing the Lord spoke to me this week, that would be it. If you add, I will multiply. If you divide, I will subtract. God said in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, as we go on to read out of the ground in verse 19, he formed every beast. And we already talked about that part of the story. Verse 23, Adam said, I'm sorry, verse number 22 the rib which the man made, I'm sorry, the, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. If you were to take most of the teachings and most of the church houses today, right now, you would think that the Bible said that the man left his mother and father and subdued his wife into submission and taught her how to be a Christian and follow God. And that's not what God called us to do. Adam didn't say, now here is lesser of my bone and lesser of my flesh. I will subdue her. This will be fun. And God didn't say, therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and demand that his wife cooks him five meals a day as she serves him. Yes, Lord. So I don't know where we started with this teaching, but it seems to me, God said, the man is supposed to cleave unto his wife. What does that mean? She's equal. She's taken from you. She's made from the same stuff. She's made from the same flesh and blood. 
Do we have different callings and assignments? Yes, we're going to get to all that in a minute. But what we need to understand right now is that God made two types of humans. And then he said, I want you to have dominion on this earth. And instead of one and one becoming two, we have decided to take dominion over the other one. And now we're only standing on one leg. And we're half as powerful as we could be in the church because God has called. Stop it. God has called some of his daughters to amazing works. And the men in charge have said, sorry. You're not worthy. There's a good idea. Maybe we'll run with it. Let's go to uh, some scriptures that are used to teach this way. That was weird. And uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. He's helping us today. Stick with me. We're going to go to all of the scriptures that seem to, or most of the scriptures that seem to negate some of this. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter number 34, chapter number 14, I'm sorry, verse number 34. Says. A lot of guys favorite verse. (laughs) Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. And if they will learn anything Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Well, there you have it. Black and white, cut and dry. Right? If you're a woman, you must remain silent in the church. Don't even amen that. You wouldn't amen this anyway, but don't amen this. Because it is against the law for you to make a sound in church. Don't even tell me if I have something on my face. You think you're helping me, but you're breaking the law. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Well, what could this possibly mean, Pastor? I don't know. It seems to me that we are 14 chapters and 34 verses into the story. Is it all right if we take a look at the other 13 chapters and 33 verses that came before it? We might see a different picture being painted. We might see a different story altogether. Now, you already know if you're an honest person, nobody can live that way. Women keep silence in the church. Is that really supposed to mean a woman can never talk when she walks through the back door? That's insane. Even people that believe that don't believe that. Because they have women at the front of the choir singing in church. Well, that's breaking the law. Just supposed to open her mouth in church. What is this? Anarchy. None of the churches are following after God. Well, they have women doing this and women greeting at the door. They can't do that. They got to sit in the back and be quiet. Even people that believe this don't believe this. It's impossible to live that way. It's impossible to act that way. So what is it talking about here in first Corinthians first uh, chapter 14 in these verses? Well, let's let's start at the beginning and we'll skip around a little bit. Uh, Actually, I want the beginnings about something different. Let's go to verse number 22 of first Corinthians 14 says, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to those that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophecy serves for those that believe not and for them. uh, I'm sorry. For them that believe not, but for them which believe. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together in one place. Everybody say the whole church. And all speak with tongues. He probably meant just men. And all speak with tongues. 
and there comes in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad or crazy? Verse 24, but if all prophesy and there comes in one that believes not and is unlearned, he is convinced of all and he is judged of all. Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, not every one of you, half of you. The men have a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all these things be done for edification. Excuse me. If any man speaks in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or three. And at the most, let there be interpretation. Verse 28. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silent. Verse 29. Hold on. Let him keep silent. That's interesting. Verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three. Let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that such by that sits by, let the first hold his peace. You have to forgive me. I can really read, but I'm used to preaching off an iPad. This 30 for 30 is killing me. Flipping around, finding scriptures and stuff. That's old school. Uh, for you may all prophesy one by one that you may learn and all may be comforted. I wonder if I'll need glasses one day. Interesting. I like glasses, so that's cool. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. He goes on. Obviously, now we're to the scripture. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. You understand? You see what he's doing right here? He's laying out an entire spirit filled church service. He's laying out some rules and regulations. What, one thing you need to know about the church at Corinth, read chapter five of this same book, first Corinthians, and you'll see there's a strong spirit of fornication and there's a strong spirit of adultery. And where there's a strong spirit of fornication and adultery, there is a spirit called Jezebel that is present in the church. Now, a lot of times you're taught that the spirit of Jezebel means women trying to be in leadership, which is maybe a small portion if domineering could be a factor. But the Jezebel spirit is one of fornication, adultery, and whoredom, whether in a spiritual or physical way. Disruptive. Right? That's present in the church. You can read about it in, in chapter number 5 of 1 Corinthians. So there's a problem among the men and women of the church at Corinth. So here's the thing. Paul's laying out this church service, and he says, here's some things that are going wrong. Your tongues are without interpretation. They're crazy. They're wild. They're turning people away. You seem to have no desire for prophecy, which will save souls. When somebody does prophesy, they're out of control with it. And he's telling right here, the prophet, the, the prophets, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Because God's not an author of confusion. And oh, by the way, because it's in King James style, it's harder to understand. You also have a problem with your women in the church. That when they don't understand something, they're turning around and talking about it. They're asking their husbands, they're asking their friends, and they're out of control because the church is out of control. And I'm not going to sit here and act like women don't talk more than men. There's studies that have been done. You ladies use 10 times more words in a lifetime than we do. That's the real truth. Thank you. It's not your fault. You have to because all we do is go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then you have to keep talking and keep explaining yourself. Yep, mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's your fault, just like it's not our fault that our car insurance is higher. We have to drive on the road with women. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so all I'm saying is I understand that. But the reality of the matter is, yes, women are more talkative in nature. They're more conversational in nature. They go to the bathroom in groups. That's just that's just how that's just how it goes. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, you're women in the church. I understand that, you know, sometimes. Uh, some of the women, they, they want to go deeper. They want to understand, like, why does all this? Why does this have to be? Blah, blah, blah. They have questions. And men don't typically, you know how men are in church. Men, 
They don't understand something? Whatever. I'll look at it later. Times the game on. Amen, pastor. Amen. If a man doesn't understand, he's not going to admit it. Women are asking questions in the middle of service. He's saying, hey, yes, it's unlawful for your women to be speaking in service. It's unlawful for anybody to be bursting out in service. Your problem happens to be with your women. Nobody's supposed to be talking in the middle of service. Nobody's supposed to be talking to their neighbor, asking questions, trying to get an explanation. So then he goes on and says, if a woman needs to learn something, let her learn it from her husband at home. And we take that scripture to mean women can't learn anything. They get to come to church and sit next to us and look pretty. And then when we get home, we can teach them about everything the pastor just said because they're so stupid. They could So we're going to, but we're glad that they're there because we need people to serve us and stuff like that. And then we'll teach them what we what was said at church later. Mm-hmm. Give me a break, man. Seriously, you guys know you've, every guy in this room has met a woman that's smarter than you. It happens. So don't sit, don't sit there and act like as a man, you're going to understand everything and teach your wife later. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the reason they're blurting out in church, the reason everything's out in order is because they're asking you questions during the service. Let them learn it at home. If they have a question, tell them to honey, wait till we get home. Because it is your job as a man. You have a certain leadership role and you should be able to, you know, if your wife's talking or whatever, not smack her, but honey, we got to talk about this when we get home. Church is going on, whatever. You know, there's a huge spirit of disruption in the Corinth church. It's based on the Jezebel spirit. So Paul's pointing out what's going on in the church service. And then we take it out to mean that for eternity, women can't speak in church. But then, of course, nobody actually does that. Even if they teach that. Does that make sense? Let's go to Proverbs 31. See what kind of women we're supposed to be raising up in the church. Yeah, you say that now. Wait till we. Wait till we get down to some Hebrew. Proverbs chapter 31. We're going to start in verse number 10. Popular portion of scripture. Obviously concerning women, it goes all the way throughout most of the rest of the chapter, but it starts in verse number 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. So far, so good. What is a virtuous woman that the Bible's talking about? Well, it's talking about this woman that is always in the kitchen. She's always getting her husband a glass of water or kombucha or whatever it is you drink in your household. We do a lot of kombucha. I'll talk to you about it later. So whatever, whatever it is, she wakes up in the middle of the night and cooks her husband a ribeye. Praise God. And delivers it. Also makes food for her children and her maidens. A virtuous woman, lowly, meek, servant, listening. That's a great example of a Christian woman, right? So uh, these are all trick questions. Don't answer any of these questions. So then we would say, well, if a man has a good wife, she's this wife that walks in the door with him, stands beside him, shakes everybody's hands is not not 
flaunting in any way her beauty, maybe just straight hair, no makeup, a little makeup. Kind of looks at the ground a lot, very humble, very meek. In some churches, I mean, to the point of invisibility. And it just has really nothing going on. Just a real servant's heart to her husband. You go over to his house, the pastor's house, maybe. And his wife is making food and she brings food to you and she's making drinks and she brings it to you. And she's real humble and meek and she's taking orders and she's a servant. And all the guys go, man, you're lucky. A lucky dude. How'd you get a wife like that? Let me speak to you about reality for a second. Are there women that are like that? Absolutely. And now let me speak a truth to you. I'm so glad that there are women who are like that. And if you are a woman who is like that, God bless you. Your soul is unequaled. Amazing heart. But there is so much more to you than that. And that is not the definition of a virtuous woman. Partially, partially, but not fully. Virtuous in Hebrew is the Hebrew word 2428, number 2428, if you use a concordance. It is the word kayil. And these are the translations of this word. Virtue, army, strength, able, valor, protector. And only a couple of times in the Bible is this word ever translated as virtuous. Many times it's translated as army. Many times it's translated as strength. And a virtuous woman is not just a lowly, meek woman who serves everybody around her. Described here in Proverbs, partially that is a great attribute, but are we not also called as men to be servants? So a servant's heart is necessary for everyone. Now let's read the rest of Proverbs 31 and see, does it encapsulate this literal translation of this Hebrew word? Verse number 16, she considers a field and she buys it. That's a big decision. Our virtuous women and helpmates are not supposed to be able to make these decisions. You can't talk in church, but you can empty out the bank account to buy a piece of land. Those two things don't mesh very well. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. No, she doesn't. Guys plant vineyards. Women wash clothes. Right? Isn't that virtuous? I don't know. 17. She girds her loins with strength. Shut your mouth. That is talking about a dude. No. And strengthens her arms. Really? This is getting interesting. Verse number 18. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candles go out not by night. In other words, she has great uh, integrity and works with her hands well. She lays her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the staff. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. I thought she was needy. Nope, she helps the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. How'd that happen? She stayed home and cooked. And the man went out and earned everything and provided clothing for his children. Isn't that what is, is that what's supposed to happen? Hold on. She makes herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing, silk and purple. She clothes her household with scarlet. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. 
When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchant. She has her own business. She has her own business. She, she already, she already does. Strength and honor are her clothing. I misread that. Meekness and humility are her clothing. Nope, I was right the first time. Hold on. Strength and honor. Everybody say strength and honor. All the women say strength and honor. Strength and honor. Strength and honor are her clothing. We're talking about a virtuous woman. We're talking about half the church. We're talking about being done with division. And understanding that women are valuable. The daughters of God are valuable. God has called women to a great work. And if we can encourage and empower that. The church might be twice as powerful as it's ever been. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Oh, wrong. This is just wrong book. Hold on a second. It told me a second ago she's not allowed to speak. So forgive me. I was reading the wrong book. This is a different. Let's try that again. Hold on. Oh, this is so contradictory. She opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. I bet what Paul was saying was women speak with such great wisdom. They need to be quiet in the church because we don't want to hear wisdom in the church. Is that probably what he meant? I seriously doubt it. He's asking women to be virtuous, to be powerful, to be part of the army, to be valorous, to open your mouth because there's wisdom in you. There's value in you and we need to stop stomping out our sisters and their voices. It's only making us all weaker. It's only dwindling the power of the church. God cannot cause a full revival with half the church. So if we want this revival and we want his word, we need to empower one another. There's a few more verses. I'm going to say you have fun with those at home. I think it's it's obvious Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. Fairly certain I wrote this out of order, but let's read it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 4. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, Paul is speaking to Corinth, and this is even before the women being silent thing. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. That sounds a little bit equal. Let every man have his own wife. He could have just stopped there. And every wife have her own husband. We're getting the same mandate for both genders. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Come on, man. It doesn't say that. It does say that. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Keep that. It's going to make, a, it's going to make an impact at the end here. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. Equal. Four. The wife does not have power of her own body, but the husband. Verse five. Oh, hold on. There's more. The husband, likewise, also the husband doesn't have power of his own body, but the wife. Now, this is this is talking about in a marital uh, relationship as far as physical intimacy goes. Now that, that we don't have time to teach on that. I just want to I just want to show you the equality. 
Defraud not the other except to be with consent for time. That goes more into the marital relationship. What I wanted you to see there is that Paul has called us to treat each other with equal respect. Ephesians chapter five, verse. Let's see, verse 22. Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. See how nicely that reads? With no context? (laughs) Amen. Submit. Let's stop there. Whatever you do, don't read verse 21. Because right before that, in verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then he's going to explain what that means. On the wife's part, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, verse 24, as the church is subject unto Christ, let wives be subject to their husbands and everything. Verse 25, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So there is a difference to the office that we're called as men and women, as husbands and wives. There's no way around that. I think we've made a great case for the equality and the virtue and the power that exists inside of women, inside of daughters of God. Now let me talk to you real quickly about leadership. Women also have leadership qualities and also have leadership abilities. Inside the sanctity of the marital relationship, God has provided an office. And here's how you abuse that office. First of all, where he says in chapter five, verses 21 through 25, that the wife should act a certain way towards the husband and the husband should act a certain way towards the wife. This is not given. This is not commanded. This is earned. You understand what I'm saying? You don't get to read that and go home and say, you have to submit to me, but not to mention there's more scriptures about it that you need to learn as unto the Lord. Because the Bible, you don't get to command that. You get to earn that. The same way that Jesus didn't force you to be saved. He presented himself. He served you. He treated you with respect and honor. And you get to make the decision whether you're going to serve him or not. Did he not? So men have a certain role in leadership. That you are supposed to be Christ-like. You are supposed to be an example. And if you think that you are somehow going to escape the mandate to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of your wife, you have missed the calling of Christ. That's what he did to his disciples. First, he said, or later, I'm sorry, it was said that your feet should be shod with the God, the preparation of the gospel of peace here in the same book, Ephesians. Then we see an example of Christ on his hands and knees to supposedly inferior people and as a servant washing their feet and preparing them to walk this out with anointing. You are responsible for that as a man. If you feel like your wife is not treating you right as a husband, you need to double check yourself as a husband. Have you earned that? That's what God's calling you to do. I want to tell you something that hit me for the very first time, and I hope it hits you the same way concerning this message. I read in Genesis chapter two that God created woman to be a helpmate. The worship team can go ahead and come up. 
when God said in Genesis chapter two that he created a woman to be a helpmate. And we use that scripture to tell women that their job is just to support and help their husbands and be quiet, a little bit quiet in the corner and do as you're told or whatever the case may be. I want to submit to you something that God gave us in Genesis chapter two, just a little bit too much credit. So he took the rib out of the man. He made the woman and he said, she is going to help you. I'm calling her to help you. And so then we stand up as men and we say, yes, we are in charge. We are strong. We are powerful and you can help me do what I'm going to do. Have you not seen that? Is that not how we act a lot of times in church? We will build a leadership team of men and women. You are able to help if you want. The women will be at the leadership meeting this evening, cooking and bringing potluck dinners. Men, we need you there a little bit early. We will lead the church and women, you may help. It's so funny because God made a called women in the Bible, the weaker vessel. What is a vessel? It's a physical object, a cup, a vase, whatever. So your physical body, generally speaking, yes, weaker and a little bit more frail. Men are typically stronger. There are not any world records for powerlifting currently held by women over men. It's not how God made us. Which all that stuff can be worthless at the end of the day. But my point is, yes, we're physically stronger. Yes, women, generally speaking, are physically weaker. Not always the case. Where's, where's Ted and Bobby? Oh, there's Bobby. Where's Ted? There he is. Can I get an amen? I know Bobby throws you around. I've heard stories. Huh? Yeah? Yeah. I'm just playing. That's because Ted's a gentle giant. Anyhow, my point is, God, he made the man big and strong, made the woman a little bit weaker, and then said, hey, I need to give you a mandate to help him. He didn't call the man the helpmate of the woman because it should have been obvious. Yes. We are bigger. We are stronger. I'm delivering you something that's a little bit smaller and weaker. Do I really need to tell you that you need to help this person? You need to be a helpmate to your wife. God didn't put that in the Bible because it should have been obvious. But the wife, a woman is not going to look at a man. And obviously he needs help. He looks like he can do it himself. So God said, I want you to understand that you are a helpmate. I know he looks like he doesn't need help, but trust me, he needs help. As for you, blockheaded man. Do I have to tell you this help? You need to be a helpmate. So sometimes your wife is going to have an idea. It doesn't mean that you have to take over. You can help her. Sometimes your wife is going to have a calling. She might have an anointing on her life. It is not the job of the pastor to squash that out and give it to a man to carry it out. It is our job to help. Amen. We have to raise women up. Half of the church is missing. Half of the church is not carrying out its mandate. Close your eyes with me real quick. I'm going to tell you a story. I want you to imagine a man walking into a amazing church building. A man that has a fire in his bones that's had it since the day he was born, that has known that he was meant for greatness. Found God and realized my greatness is in God. There's a calling. 
and this man studies and this man learns and this man devotes his life to the word of God. He could make a lot of money, but he decides to take other jobs. Because he wants to, to be ready and available when God calls him, he wants to devote time to study. Good hearted man, good natured man, powerful, anointed man that God has put a call on his life to stir up revival in the church worldwide. You see the smile on his face, the excitement in the atmosphere when he walks through the door. It is his time. The prophet has spoken. God has said now. And he walks into the church house. And he walks up to the pastor and he starts telling his story. And God's called me. He's calling his place. And I've got so much in me. And it's really in there. And it's set for revival. And the pastor looks at the young man and says. Sorry. You're not what we're looking for. You're not worthy. And the man is is downtrodden and depressed. He goes to the next glorious church. Walks up to the pastor, tells him the same thing. And the pastor says. All eyes closed. And the pastor says, sorry. You're not what we're looking for. You're not worthy. And he goes and he goes and he goes and he can't find anybody to accept him. All that's inside of him is anointing in what he's called to do. And nobody will give him the time of day. What is that guy supposed to do? He's either going to quit Christianity altogether, or he's going to fight to the end of his days just to sit in the back, depressed, but not willing to walk out. Sad story. I want you to imagine that man And now I want you to imagine it's a woman. I don't know how that hits you. You can open your eyes. I don't know how that hits you. But the first time I thought of that, I was really upset about the dude. I resonate with the guy. And then when I imagined being a woman, it didn't hit me the same way. Because there's been something ingrained in me that a woman can't be as anointed as a man. I had to check myself. That is not true. If you're a young lady, an old lady, a middle-aged lady in the room today, all women, if you've had a mandate and a call in your life and there's a fire in your bones and everybody's told you you don't look right, You're not the right kind of person. You're not what we're looking for. I want to tell you today, God is saying, woman, thou art loosed. Find your place. And now let me talk to the men briefly and we'll be done. I want you to imagine you can leave your eyes open this time. A a guy that is a a prevalent, maybe a minister or whatever, anointed and, and all this good stuff and powerful and uh, or you know, you're just just a Christian guy that's doing something. And he walks in or you walk into his house, and you see his wife and she's standing next to him. And she's that first virtuous woman that that, that just kind of looks you know, at the ground and is very comely and doesn't have anything really going on with her. And apparently God's never called her to do anything. And she's just going to serve food to her husband, whatever the deal is. And she's back and forth and back and forth and making sure everything looks good and all that. And 
Imagine this dude, you're looking at this dude, and you're like, wow, he's really, his wife really serves him, that's really amazing, and, and uh, man, you're doing, you know, you've got a good household, a good marriage, you're, you're a powerful dude. It, God's doing something in his life. I, now I want you to imagine a different guy in the same position. A Christian in a church doing something. Maybe a minister, maybe not. Same as the first guy. And you walk into his house or he walks into your house. And next to him stands a strong, proud, virtuous woman. Whose calling is evident on her face. Who you know she can handle her business. She's in charge of stuff. Her eyes are on fire. She's doing things. She's been empowered. She's a Joan of Arc. And she has chosen because he has earned it to encourage and prop up and serve her husband and the husband and wife relationship. And this Joan of Arc woman is saying, no, honey, I'll get it. Don't worry about it. I'll do this. She's serving. She's making just doing the same things that the first woman is doing. Which man looks more powerful? The one who can only get a meek, lowly, weak woman to do anything for him? Or the one who has dropped his insecurities, empowered his wife, and has a strong helpmate standing next to him? That because of who he is in Christ, has chosen easily to do what she can to serve him. Which means at some point he's also serving her. Which man looks more powerful? Which man do you want to be? I know what I want to be. And I know who'd look more powerful to me. If I saw a guy with a wife like that, and she was, I would be out. Who are you? How did you get this woman to go cook you a, a burger or make you a sandwich? How's it even possible? Be like, who's this dude? It's a serious dude. So guys, this is not just for the women. But if we can jump on board and we can bridge the biggest gap of division that the church has an existence today, which is the division between the men and the women. And if we can unify in that gap, the devil has no chance. It will not only empower the women, it will in turn empower the men to be who they need to be. Why do you think the church house is 85% women and only 15% men? Because in the, in the man's oppression of the woman, the woman has, can't, can't do anything but go to church and hope and hang on. That's where she gets, that's the only place she gets fed because she's not being served Christ like at the home. And the husband has no power. He doesn't see any power in the church because the pastor at the front of the church has oppressed his wife also. So he's only half as strong as he can be. So there's nothing going on. And the guy would rather sit home and watch football. And the woman is doing all she can to pray her family into the kingdom of God. It makes perfect sense. We can fix it. We can do something about it. Serve and empower. God said, if you will add, I will multiply. But if you divide, I will subtract. So my challenge, my mandate to you this morning. Make one and one, two. The only other thing you can do is separate it. And one minus one is zero. Make one and one, two, and let God multiply in you.